Hi everyone, welcome back to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, where we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors fighting for justice. I'm your host, Lindsay Ann. According to a Washington Post investigation, in the last 10 years, some 26,000 murders in major U.S. cities went without an arrest. Each year, only around 45% of all violent crimes that are reported to police in America are cleared. And only 62% of murders are solved. What if your loved one was one of these statistics? Thursday, July 2nd, 1992, was one of the best days of Michelle and Jeff Barton's lives. Tanner Lane Barton was born at 8.54 a.m., weighing in at 7 pounds 11 ounces and measuring a lengthy 21 inches. Come on, every mother knows how important these stats are. I mean, what else can we brag about when our babies are born? He was perfect. I say that this was one of the best days because just 15 months later, his precious sister, Jameson, was welcomed to this world. Tanner and Jameson grew up together and had a bond that no one could divide. Tanner grew up believing that the fireworks going off around his birthday were for him and him only. I'm with you, Tanner. From now on, whenever I see fireworks near the 4th of July, I will shout a huge happy birthday to you. The football field became home for Tanner starting at the age of seven, but he had many talents and hobbies. It wasn't just football. Listen to this. By his junior year in high school, after bowling for only two years, Tanner bowled two perfect games. By my junior year, I was still using bumpers. You know those like old yellow coily ones that we used to use? Yeah, I'm an 80s girl. This curly-haired, handsome, bandana-wearing hunk of a guy would later go on to be an offensive lineman for Marion University. By this time, Tanner's stats had changed quite drastically. He was now weighing in at nearly 300 pounds and measuring a lengthy 75 inches. That's six foot three. Tanner Barton was quite literally the all-American guy. Not only was he a football star, but he was in theater. He was a heavyweight wrestler. He was clearly a good bowler. He was charismatic. He was hilarious. He held all the heavyweight lifting records at his high school. And this guy could sing. Tanner Barton was the bomb.com. In August 2011, Tanner began his next phase in life, college. Marion University hit the jackpot by getting this highly sought-after offensive lineman. Not only was he stellar on the football field, but Tanner had brains, too. He made the dean's list both semesters his freshman year. The commitment it takes for a freshman to have those honors is way underappreciated, in my opinion. 
you have a 19-year-old football star living on his own for the first time. The distractions are endless. Girls. Parties. Girls. Drugs. Alcohol. Girls. And no curfew. You get it. Tanner was able to ignore these distractions, attend his two-a-day practices, attend all of his classes, make it to the required study hall hours that student-athletes must adhere to every week. He even tutored other athletes, and he still made the dean's list, not once, but both semester. Now that's a student-athlete. In April 2012, as his first year of college was coming to an end, Tanner pulled an all-nighter at his aunt's house, who lived near campus, while he was writing a final term paper. Not unusual for a college kid, right? Come on, we've been there, done that. A couple of days later, on Saturday, April 21st, 2012, Tanner drove the 60 minutes to his parents' house in Kokomo, Indiana. Mama Sue, that's what he called his adoring mother, was ecstatic to see her teddy bear of a boy. She did all the mom things. You know, she did his laundry and cooked him his favorite meal, just like the good old-fashioned mama. Love you, Michelle. Anyway, Tanner took a nap that day, ate the shit out of his homemade-with-love rib dinner, and was ready to start his evening. Michelle and Jeff walked Tanner outside to his car, like always. Tanner squeezed his Mama Sue in a tight bear hug, lifting her off her feet, put her back down, and got in his car. He waved to them as he backed out of the driveway and headed to Purdue to meet up with his girlfriend. Or so they thought. This is where everything becomes alleged, at least in this episode. What happens from 5 p.m. until around 9 p.m. on April 21st, 2012 is still unknown or confirmed. Actually, hold on. The next 16 hours are still questionable. We do know that Tanner never went to Purdue, a 45-minute drive that night, to see his girlfriend. It has been said that he instead went to a movie with a buddy, smoked some weed, and went to a house party at his friend Marcus's. There are conflicting statements, which you will find very often in Tanner's case, about what occurs once Tanner arrived at Marcus's. Before I go further, I need to explain the dynamics of this home. There are a handful of key players in this story, and I will do my very best to keep it clear and concise for you. At this home on the night of April 21st, 2012, allegedly was Carol Lindskoog and her children, Marcus and Michaela Salazar. Jeff Lindskoog was there and his daughter, Kirsten, as well as a man named Todd Cooney, who is a local veterinarian. All three of the adults had worked at the same vet clinic, And as of this recording, Carol and Jeff are now divorced, and Carol is currently married to Todd, that local veterinarian. Yes, on this day in 2012, Carol and Todd were having an affair, and I have no idea if Jeff knew or not, and honestly, I don't give a fuck, none of my business, but I will put it out there because it is a fact. 
A few months prior to this, Tanner had told his mama Sue Michelle that he was upset because Carol, Marcus's mother, was having an affair and that he felt bad for Jeff Linskoog. Coming from one divorcee to another, Jeff, everything happens for a reason. Today's recollection of events will be told from the viewpoint of the only people supposedly at the Linskoog home that fateful night. Much of what you hear today comes directly from these witnesses in their interviews with the Howard County Police Department just over two hours after that 911 call was placed. I cannot wait to hold these people accountable and get to the bottom of their stories. Tanner deserves so much better and Tanner deserves friends to fight for him and tell the truth. According to Michaela, the sister, Tanner showed up at the Lindskoog home between 9 and 10.30 p.m. Wow, thanks for your preciseness, Michaela. According to Marcus, Tanner showed up between 10.30 and 10.40 p.m. According to Jeff, Tanner showed up around 10 p.m. And according to Carol, well, Carol never set a time of arrival. Yeah, you can already see where this story is going. Lies, 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 and more lies. He walked in the door and asked Carol, the mother, to play shots. That's a drinking game. She claims to have said no. That is so weird. What 19-year-old would ask his friend's parents to play shots if they have not done that before? Just a thought. Tanner headed downstairs to find Marcus and his sister, Michaela, playing video games. He watched for a bit and then went back upstairs where Carol made him one or two grilled cheese sandwiches. After that cheesy deliciousness, Tanner went back downstairs, and this time he joined in that fun and played video games with his buddy Marcus. Midnight approached, and Marcus, you know, the one that had been begging Tanner to hang out that night because he hadn't seen his college bud in a while, was getting tired. Marcus went to bed around 12.15 leaving just Tanner and Michaela, Marcus's 15-year-old sister, awake downstairs. Around 12.40 a.m., Michaela and Tanner wanted donuts. Carol Lindskoog, you know, the mother of the home, gave Tanner $10 to get a dozen donuts at 12.40 in the morning with her 15-year-old daughter in tow. Apparently, Dan's Donuts is quite the hangout until 1 a.m. You guys, I'm being super judgy, and I'm telling you right now that I will continue to be in this episode. I like to pride myself in being very open-minded and non-judgmental, but in this case, I cannot. After arriving to Dan's Donuts and seeing some of their friends, they decided it was too cold and the line was too long. They left donutless. They jumped back into Tanner's car. Michaela called a friend to see if she wanted to hang out with them. And according to Michaela, the friend was sleeping and didn't answer. Now, you guys, this friend has since told Michelle, Tanner's mom, that she was awake. She talked to Michaela and to Tanner. 
and she said she could not hang out that night. Michaela then says that Tanner drove her by his house because she didn't know where he lived and she wanted to see. Odd, but whatever. She insists they made zero stops that night. They showed back up the Linskoog home around 1.45 a.m. And Michaela said goodnight to her mother and stepdad, who were allegedly in bed. Jeff, stepdad, took an Ambien CR to fall asleep, and he was out. Tanner and Michaela migrated to the basement, and Tanner told her that he wanted to get drunk. Please remember that everything I say happening after 5 p.m. on this day is alleged. Tanner's girlfriend had been texting him, and Michaela said he seemed a bit angry. From 2.07 to 2.11 a.m., phone records show that Tanner talked to his girlfriend during these four minutes. His girlfriend stated to Michelle, Mama Sue, that there was a lot of rambunctiousness and girls' voices in the background. We will dive way deeper into that statement in upcoming episodes. Around this time, Michaela got a beer for Tanner and a fruity cocktail beverage in a can for herself. The two of them settled in to watch a movie and have some drinks. This night in April 2012 was allegedly Michaela's first time drinking. You're right. Zero percent of me believes that. And you'll find out next week that I'm right. Michaela, liars suck and always get caught. Not a good choice. Anyway, she claims that after they finished their first drinks, Tanner went upstairs to get more alcohol. This time, hard liquor. Bacardi rum and pineapple juice. Ew, but whatever. So from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m., one fucking hour, and this was allegedly Michaela's First time drinking alcohol. She admits to having one fruity drink in a can, two full mixed drinks of rum and pineapple juice, and a couple sips of Tanner's drink as well. Now, I'm no fool, Michaela. I don't believe this was your first time drinking alcohol, and I will prove it next week. Actually, you will prove it next week. Actually, your parents help prove it next week. It's like getting caught hanging on a basketball rim at a high school dance and swearing it was your first time drinking. Right, Steve? Back to her first time drinking, all that alcohol consumed within 60 minutes, and Michaela states that she, quote, drank a lot, but knew what was going on, and she could comprehend what was going on, end quote. Within that hour, Michaela and Tanner finished a pint of Bacardi, and the pineapple juice. Around 3.20 a.m., Tanner got up and staggered to the stairs. I think it's very important for you to know that Tanner's blood alcohol level was a mere 0.063%. That's equivalent to about one to two beers. You guys, Tanner is 300 pounds and six foot three. Why was he staggering? More on that next week. Michaela turned to watch him as he took his first step on the bottom stair. He fell backward in a twisting motion 
and landed on his left side. As he was falling, she heard him make a funny noise that made her laugh. What's not funny is that Tanner didn't move. Michaela went over to his body, and when she tried to move him, he made a snoring noise, so she thought he just passed out. Remember, though, Michaela claims this is her first time drinking, and yet she knows what it would be like to pass out. Anyway, Michaela then reveals that she checked the pulse on his wrist and was pretty sure she felt something, so she didn't think Tanner was dead. Didn't think Tanner was dead? What? Why would you think he would be dead? Am I missing something? Do you know something that we don't? Yes, this 15-year-old saw a healthy 19-year-old college athlete collapse on the basement floor, checked his pulse, thinks that she felt one, steps over his body, and went to sleep. Why are you concerned enough to check his pulse, but not concerned enough to tell your parents that are allegedly in the same home as you that Tanner had collapsed? Okay, so maybe you don't want your parents to know that you are drinking for the first time. Fine. Then why are you not concerned enough to tell your brother, Tanner's very good friend, that he had collapsed? If this was your first time seeing anyone underage drinking at your house, as you claimed in your police interview, then I would venture to say that would be quite scary to see. Why did you feel it necessary to check for a pulse, but not let anyone else know? Michaela, you have some splainin' to do. I am being very hard on a 15-year-old. I get that. But tell the fucking truth. For nearly six and a half hours, Tanner was motionless at the bottom of one of his best friend's basement stairs, with another friend, Michaela, sleeping just feet away from him. Fast forward to the morning of Sunday, April 22nd, 2012. Jeff Lindskoog, stepdad, wakes up around 7.30 a.m., and got out of bed between 8 and 8.30. Keep in mind that this same person, Jeff, took an Ambien CR just five hours before he woke up on his own. Here is something that I got from WebMD. Quote, Do not take this drug unless you have time for a full night's sleep of at least seven to eight hours. If you wake up before that, you may have some memory loss and may have trouble safely doing any activity that requires alertness, end quote. Jeff stated that he took the Ambien CR around 2 or 2.30 a.m., and he woke up around 7.30. That's five to five and a half hours. You can come to your own conclusion on that one. Carol, mom, claims to have woken up around 7.30 or 8 a.m., And then she got on her laptop while she was laying in bed. She left the house around 8.30 to go to a tanning bed and to run some errands. Carol was supposed to catch a 2.30 p.m. flight that day. Wait, I wonder if Todd happened to be on that same flight. Hmm. Spoiler alert, she missed her flight. After Carol left the house to bronze herself, Jeff went to the kitchen to feed the family dogs. He heard one of the pups go through the dog gate, 
and into the basement. I need to explain something here. Jeff states that the dog was barking at the gate at the bottom of the stairs. But you guys, there's a picture proving that the dog gate is at the top of the stairs. Major mess up, stepdad. This is when Jeff said he went down the L-shaped staircase to get to the basement. You know, those staircases that you take about five steps down, then there's a landing, you take a sharp right, and then you take another five or so steps, and then you're in the basement. Jeff went to get the dog, and this is when he saw Tanner collapsed at the bottom of the staircase. Now is when I get to the infuriating part. Jeff picked up the dog and brought him upstairs. He then got his work cell phone, went back down the enclosed L-shaped staircase to the basement, and I kid you not, this asshole took a picture of Tanner and emailed it to Carol. He stated himself that he took the picture because Tanner was sleeping in a funny and odd way, and he wanted to use it to laugh at with Tanner later. He said they snapped pictures of the kids and their friends when they catch them sleeping in funny positions at their house. There is so much fucking wrong with this, I don't even know where to begin. Here comes some verbal diarrhea. Let me get this straight, Jeffrey Effrey. You see a close family friend laying at the bottom of your staircase. You think it's funny, so you go get your work phone to take a picture to email it to your wife. Who the fuck emails something like that when you know she's running errands and would see a text much quicker? You had the audacity to admit that it's not uncommon to see the kids fall asleep in funny ways at your house. So you and your wife find humor in taking pictures as a form of blackmail to laugh at with the kids later. Yes, I said kids. None of the kids at this home are of drinking age. We aren't stupid, Jeff. You are taking pictures of underage drinkers in your home that pass out in funny positions. You are a sick man. Hey, fucktard, why did you not check on Tanner when you saw him laying at the bottom of the stairs? Oh shit, I forgot. You thought it was funny. Why did you take a picture instead of checking on Tanner? That's right, you thought it was funny. Why did you go on with your business after taking the picture instead of checking on Tanner? Oh yeah, you thought it was funny. You know what's not funny, Jeff Linskoog and Carol Salazar Linskoog, Cooney, Mrs. Veterinarian, whoever the fuck you are, what's not funny is you allowing underage drinking in your home and you providing alcohol and approving of this behavior. Why are you not in jail right now? <clears throat> I get heated. I'm sure all of you listening right now, skin is crawling. Imagine if this was your child at the bottom of the staircase. Imagine if this was your loved one left to die by friends. Imagine if all of this was happening to your sweet baby. Our skin might be crawling, 
But if this was your child, your skin would be a fucking racehorse. Now back to Michaela, the girl that checked Tanner's pulse, thought she felt it, stepped over his body, and went to sleep. Remember her? She woke up around 9 a.m., according to her interview with the detective, and saw Tanner was still in the same position at the bottom step and went over to his body and said, quote, Tanner, get up! End quote. Michaela then moved him and pushed his body up. She recalls that Tanner was much lighter to move that morning than when she moved him the night before to check his pulse. Very odd. She remembers Tanner was very cold to the touch and his face was blue and purple and flat on one side. You guys, the fact that Tanner's face looked flat on one side and she could see a blue and purple discoloration tells me that liver mortis has set in. Liver mortis is when blood pools in the lifeless body around the areas that have the most gravitational pull. Liver mortis starts around 20 to 30 minutes post-mortem, but is usually not observable to the human eye until two hours after death. After this extremely tragic moment for Michaela that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy, not even Tim, Shane, or Shandon, she ran upstairs to tell Jeff and her mom, Carol. Jeff stated to Howard Police Department that Michaela said, quote, something's wrong with Tanner. I think he broke his nose, end quote. Wait, What? You just saw your friend's face flat on one side, bluish-purple in color, and cold to the touch. And now you think he broke his nose? What the hell is going on? Marcus woke up to hearing Michaela tell Jeff that Tanner is downstairs and his face is blue. Marcus got out of bed, went downstairs to see Jeff roll Tanner over, and that's when they instantly knew Tanner was not alive. Jeff instructed Marcus to call 911 while he tried to conduct CPR on Tanner, but his jaw was locked and the attempt failed. Marcus claims to have called 911 and then his mother, Carol. Please keep in mind that Michaela's witness statement says that this all began around 9 a.m. But Todd Cooney, Mr. Veterinarian put in writing that Carol called him around 8.30 that morning saying that Tanner was dead and they needed his mother's phone number. This dipshit called his son, Tommy, and had his 18-year-old son call Michelle and Jeff Barton and inform them that they think Tanner is dead. Tommy, I am so sorry that you had to make that dreaded phone call. That is something that an adult should do, not a high school senior. Marcus called Jeff Barton around 8.40 a.m. Tanner's father didn't answer, and then Marcus called Michelle around 9 a.m. with the devastating news. The official time of the 911 call is 9.24 a.m. This is insane. 
Michaela states she woke up around 9 a.m. and found Tanner. Todd states that Carol called him around 8.30 with the tragic news. Jeff Linskoog said he didn't get out of bed until 8.30 to feed the dogs. And I'm sure you forgot about the other name mentioned in the very beginning. Kirsten, Jeff Linskoog's daughter. Well, she claims to have been woken up at 10.30 a.m., went up the basement stairs, and never saw Tanner's body. Holy shit. What if this happened to your innocent child? What if your loved one's friend's stories didn't even come close to matching up? Would you stop fighting? Would you back down? Hell no, we can't stop and we won't stop fighting until we get answers. Next week, I will go over the autopsy and coroner's reports with you. I will also play some audio clips of the witnesses' interviews with the Howard County Police Department. If today's story pissed you off, just wait for next week. You know, I don't know why so much pain and loss has to happen. I don't have all the answers. It has been nearly nine years since Tanner was taken from us. It has been nearly nine years of obstacles and lies from people he trusted and from the police. It has been nearly nine years that no family should ever have to go through. Tanner, we can't stop and we won't stop fighting for you and every other victim that deserves justice. Please join our Facebook group, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, for more information, where Dwayne and I go live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Also, you can join the Facebook group, Tanner's Voice, to learn more about his unjust death. A huge thank you to singer and songwriter Mr. Peace for allowing us the rights to use the song Where'd You Go featuring our beloved Egypt Covington. We appreciate you. Can't wait for next week. Where'd you go?